With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mets fans, welcome to episode 208 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of URSP Nation New York Mets site Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and we're in the midst of the World Series right now, but that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about Mets stuff. we got a lot of Mets content planned for you guys for the show today, and to start it off, Chris McShane and I talk about some recent developments with the Mets free agency, as well as ponder a potential bullpen piece. Well, Chris, we are recording this on Wednesday evening, about 11 p.m., and uh, news has broken. I, it's not really news, but it's big enough deal that MLB at bat sent me a push notification about it, that Ioannis Cespedes is expected to opt out of his Mets contract. Now, this is not exactly breaking news because it hasn't happened yet, nor is it all that unexpected because I think most people, despite his August... Um, statement to the contrary expected this to be the result of the of the Cespedes opt-out after the first year so um you know looking at this sort of as a uh, as as impassionately as we can 
Do you think that this is a problem for the Mets that Cespedes is opting out? And what do you put the odds of him coming back to the Mets at? Hmm. I I don't think it's a problem that he's opting out. And, you know, I think I could do without a whole offseason of, uh, you know, worrying about it. Yeah, it would have been really easy if they just signed him to an extension in September. Right. That or... You know, I think as we expressed uh, here, a desire that they maybe worked on it a little bit since they had nothing else to do over the last few weeks. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that merely retaining him and doing literally nothing else probably gives you a competitive team for next year. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're you know, there would be flaws, uh, some question marks, all that fine, but you can make that the entire off season and go into it and say, Hey, you know, we, we probably have a contending team in place. So I guess it's, I'll give people this, you know, if you want to freak out about it now, fine, it's understandable. Now it's actually an issue, you know, during the entire season when, you know, he'd hit a home run and somebody would mention the opt out. That that was like, like, just stop, you know, give me a break. But, uh, but yeah. And if you, if you want to start worrying about it now, that's, that's fine. Um, you know, I just don't see, I don't see how these two sides can't come together and, you know, work something out. He's, you know, he's not, going to command as good as he's been over the last two years he's not going to command you know like a 200 million dollar contract or, or whatever yeah. I mean, you know there was the one rival gm who floated that to Heyman, and and you know some point in july or august or whatever it was i don't think that's even close to realistic so you know it i know there's long-term financial planning that has to go on you know, I don't know exactly how much money ownership is going to make available for payroll every year, but you know, there you can account for arbitration raises and some of that other stuff. Um, you know, we're not that far off from David Wright's contract starting to cost less every year. Um, you know, and that's if we're working under the assumption that he's you know healthy enough to keep playing and the insurance isn't kicking in even in that scenario, which he's David, Wright, That is something I want, you know, <laughs> but even in the best case scenario for his health, uh, his contract will start being less and less of a financial burden to the team because of the way it was structured when they, when they signed him right to the extension, which again, not that we, you know, I don't think, Many Mets fans don't realize this, but David Wright signed a really team-friendly contract at the time that he signed it. And it was still, you know, a lot of money. It, it, he, he didn't, there was certainly a hometown discount there, but when we look at it, it's still the largest contract the Mets have ever given out. You know, so it just shows that the Mets have been lucky to not have to pay out these gigantic contracts as, as frequently as other teams have, and it still wasn't all that all that much of a giant contract in the grand scheme of the game. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, 
I don't know. I mean, you could, sure, you could cobble together the corner outfield without Cespedes, but then the question to me is where, you know, where does that element of the offense come from? And, you know, say say you get a full season out of Lucas Duda, I'm, I'm reasonably confident in that, you know, okay, sure, that, that can make up for some of the lost home run power. Um, you know, they're, they're similar in their power, you know, at least in their home run uh, frequency. Right. So, you know, you might get some of it from there. And if they were to, you know, retain Bruce, obviously the one thing he is capable of doing is hitting home runs. Um, you know, you think Conforto can bounce back? I, I, I certainly do. You know, I'm, I'm not a Granderson hater. I don't think he's so old at this point. I think he's been good through his mid-30s to the point that we shouldn't go, oh, now all of a sudden he's 36, and, well, now it's just going to fall apart. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of – and I'm not necessarily lumping Jay Bruce into this category, but there's plenty of good players on the roster with or without Cespedes, but yes. – you know who who's the great one you know and especially because if it seems like Cespedes has figured it out yeah um so yeah i they can do what they want to do in a few other spots on the roster uh i am pretty much my off-season wish list is pretty much Cespedes and really not much else uh you know keep him retain him in whatever capacity and you know, fill in the rest of your, you know, your payroll budget, however you see fit. That's fine with me. So, yeah, I, I have a, a similar feeling on this, but I, I want to back up for one second here. You know, the idea that, look, we all know that the Wilpons finances is not as simple as we'd like it to be. There's a lot of factors that go into play with the Mets finances that just don't happen for other teams because other teams were not part of a Ponzi scheme. So let's put that out there that, you know, yes, a major league franchise in a major city should be able to pay for Cespedes. Let's just put that out there right, right now. That It should be happening, uh, you know, okay, on the table. Secondly, you know, they signed him to this three-year $75 million deal even though there was probably a fair amount of uh, confidence that he'd opt out after the first year. But they had to give him enough money that the possibility of an opt-out wasn't a foregone conclusion, and that if he didn't opt out, they could still afford to pay for it. So, hypothetically, the Mets had, you know, 27 or so million dollars set aside to pay Cespedes this year. The Mets made it to the postseason again, <clears throat> not nearly as far as the first time, but, you know, postseason revenue is a big deal in Major League Baseball. So you would hope that between the fact that they expect to be paying Cespedes between 25 and $27 million in the 2017 season, plus the bump they got for the postseason appearance, you would think that matching that number or even going a little bit above that number for 2017 would not be out of the question. As of 2018, Granderson comes off the books. If you bring Bruce back, Bruce comes off the books. And all of a sudden, you have a lot more money to play with for your outfield. You're hoping at this point, Conforto and maybe Lagaris are the other two 
outfielders in the team, those guys are not going to be making Granderson and Bruce money. So the financial argument, while it's there, I think is is not as dire as people are making it sound. Does that make sense? Is my logic flawed? No, I, I don't think it is. You know, unless unless they really see themselves as financially sound and building toward you know that that ridiculous free agent class that'll have Bryce Harper and Manny Machado in it, and you know going and dropping a ton of money on a player. Um, I you know, and I don't really think that's the plan. I know the overall goal is sustained success and right. you know being competitive on a yearly basis. And so far, you know, I think it might have taken a little longer than a lot of Mets fans would have liked to see, but. Once they've gotten to that point, you know they they made it to the World Series in the in the first year that they were competitive. This year, you couldn't have had much more go wrong, and they at least made, made the playoffs. Season. Yeah. So, you know, I think the foundation is there for it, but I really don't think the model is set up to drop. If they want to go drop four hundred million or five hundred million dollars on on either Harper or Machado. Sign me up. That's fine. But it's never going to happen. No, I, I, I know that. But <laughs> I, just, I have to say that out loud because, you know, as a Mets fan, I can't begin to hope too much. Right. So, right. But, but if they want to do that, that's fine. But, you know, if the overall strategy doesn't entail that, then and I, I, I'm, I, hate, I hate when people bring up, like, the window of contention. And I get the concept behind it and everything, but... You know, I I don't think you want to waste any of the years that you might have all five of these pitchers pitching. And we know, you know, I know some of the people who cover the team on a regular basis like to highlight that they've never made a full turn through the rotation together. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you go into 2017 and... You know, nobody nobody is not expected to begin spring training on time. Right. And not only and, that, you know, we're going to get to some other possible off-season business in a little bit, specifically Neil Walker and his qualifying offer. Aside from Neil Walker, though, there's nobody on the offensive side of the Mets that you have to bring back. And if they didn't bring back Walker, they have plenty of middle infield depth. They do. Right. So if, and, you know, you're, they're probably not going after a big-time starting pitcher. So you're looking at a couple little improvements. Maybe they improve at catcher. Okay. There's not a catcher out there that's going to it's gonna cost them so much that it prices them out of Cespedes. Maybe you're going after some middle relief. Same corollary applies. Maybe you're bringing in some starting pitching depth, a, a Bartolo Colon perhaps. You know, none of this theoretically should be enough of a priority to overtake the Cespedes money. So if they're not going to go after Cespedes with the money, you know, with a, with a fair offer, I don't know what they're going to spend their money on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so if, you know, in that scenario, if he's gone and if they were to decide to trade Bruce, and I I doubt that both of those things would happen, right. but, but you start to look and, um, you know, I... I what what payroll obligation is left? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some guys are going to get raises in, in arbitration and all that, and I don't, you know, it, that's not nothing. 
And you've got Granders since fifteen million. Right, but if you know, but that's a steal at this point. Oh yeah, no, Granderson has been absolutely more than worth his contract. That was a savvy move that I think was maybe not given enough credit at the time and also hasn't really been acknowledged appropriately since then, especially yeah. since he was the best player on the team in the year they went to the World Series. Yeah. And played well in those playoffs despite having a hand that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Carter's Granderson can't really do any wrong to me. <laughs> I, I agree. He also seems like such a great guy. And, right. and I know that shouldn't cloud my judgment on a player, but it totally does for me. Yeah. I like yeah, good so, guys. So it's, you know, but if you, I, I'm just looking at the Cots contracts spreadsheet on, you know, payroll obligations in the mm-hmm. future. Uh, you know, they Reyes is officially in there at 22, but that's, 21.6 is Colorado or right. Miami or whoever, like wherever all the money traces back to from the multiple times he's been traded. So that doesn't, that's zero as far as the big math goes. Right. You know, you take Cespedes out, you take him out, and you're looking at that's 45 combined. Mm-hmm. So that's, that brings the mess down to 50. Uh, throwing some arbitration races for some other guys. Let's just say Duda, let's say Duda gets 10. Um, you know, Reed maybe gets up to eight or nine. So you know, Harvey Familia gets some raises where they're in maybe in the six range. So I guess my point is that Cespedes Reyes going off, and then those guys getting their you know their due raises is probably about a wash. Yeah, when you add when you add up the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12 players who who are eligible for those raises. And a bunch of them their first year, so that you know that, that they're not going to be significant, but the overall point here is that you end up around 95 uh if those two guys aren't there. Um it, it probably goes up a little bit if you, you know, if you retain Bruce, but that's still by 2017 major league standards, that's still not really much of a payroll right there's a ton of room left and unless you're going to get like encarnacion or or uh, bautista it's just not it's not a big free agent class especially considering the positions that they have filled yeah yeah i would think that they're you know the mets priorities lay outside of corner outfield if the corner outfield there's not cespedes uh essentially but yeah, you know, let's just take the uh, the opposite position here for a second. If the Mets did not re- do not re-sign Cespedes, and I'm not advocating this in the slightest, if they didn't, do you think that there are enough small moves they can make to keep themselves in the playoff picture for 2017, or do you do you really see the drop off from Cespedes to you know whoever they bring in or whatever combination of folks? would leave them out in the weeds for the season. Hmm. So let's just assume Cespedes gets 25 in his post opt out world. Okay. Yeah. So where can you find, you know, can you distribute $25 million in a way that helps the team enough? Yeah. I mean, man, I, I hate even entertaining this, but it's a long off season. So we, right. (laughs) 
we, we, we will. <laughs> um, you know, so say we're living in a world where he sends elsewhere and Conforto's in left, either Bruce or Granderson's in right, or ideally Granderson's in left and Conforto's in right, what, you know, right, whatever combination. Right. The entire outfield is Juan Ligaris decides to start hitting left-handed instead of right-handed just to complete the trend. Um, you know, you you could throw that money at Bautista. Um, you know, you could you could go and get man. Who else? Like it, it's, I guess, and this is sort of a segue into Walker. But if you were to, you know, if you were to have Cespedes leave but retain Walker and then go and get that the elite relief pitcher. Um, you know, we, we talked about Jansen and Chapman last week. Right. I can see where, you know, if you had one more great reliever to go with the two that you already have and you have either Walker back or somebody else on sort of that level, um, you know, it's, it's not inconceivable that the team would end up being as good as it was this year or, or, a little bit better, but I don't know. There's just something about a guy who can hit a ball, <laughs> you know, a hundred miles an hour or more and, and change the course of a game uh, that I just, I'm into, you know, I, uh, I get that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you look down the, it, I, Oh wait, hold on. No, I have my answer. Uh, Carlos Beltran comes back. You trade Bruce. <laughs> you, so there, there, there we go. The, the relief pitcher is not a terrible idea, but the, I'll, that'll be my uh, my. If I can't have Cespedes in my offseason plan, bring back Beltran. Conforto, Granderson can you know figure it out in left field. Maybe try to hack it in center field a little bit against right-handed pitching. Uh, I actually think Granderson handled that better than most people. I agree. Thought he would uh, when when he played more than center down the stretch this year. So yeah, there you go, Beltron, Beltron and Walker. That's my short answer for <laughs> roughly Cespedes's money. Okay. To to try to make the team better. I can dig that. Uh, I was gonna. Did you have a combo in mind? Well, okay. If, if they're retaining Walker, I think that you have to maybe begin to picture a, a world where Travis Darno is not your starting catcher next season. But the the list of free agent catchers is not all that appealing. Um right. I mean it's it, Wilson Ramos with a healthy knee might have been my yeah number one target, you know, outside of Cespedes. Mm-hmm. Um Strictly in terms of non-Mets free agents who who were going to hit the market, I think, I think that would have been my top choice. And then he, you know, blows out his knee with yeah. a week or two left in the season, and all of a sudden it changes his entire outlook for twenty seventeen. So maybe I go after Lucroy. Maybe. Yeah, um, but they they've got an option on him, so that, that's that'd true. Be, that'd that's be true. next winter. Yeah, um, forgot they had the option on him. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Part of me, you know, I'm such a, uh, an organizational development fan 
that I like to believe that things like Conforto really making it work would happen. And that, you know, Darno just needs a little more seasoning. You know, I, I tend to I tend to hold on to those hopes longer than some other fans because I love the idea of homegrown players and, and bringing up these guys, you know, and watching them from a young age. I love all that stuff. But, you know, I do think that with a healthy walker, with a little bit more in the relief department, and I think if they could trade for a catcher perhaps or... Or send, you know, send Darno to some magic camp where he comes back able to hit. I, I don't I don't know what you do. I don't think that they'd be completely lost without Cespedes. But I think if you look at a healthy Cespedes along with all that you know more. Like, we have so much more information now than we did a year ago, right? And when you put a healthy Cespedes with a, you know, Neil Walker that put it together, even though he might he may never be the same player he was before his, his injury. But you put, you know, Walker who put it together a little bit more, and a healthy Duda, and Reyes that can still hit somehow, and Azdrubal Cabrera who had a great season, and you know, you believe a little bit in Wilmer Flores' ability to hit lefties even more than you did beforehand. And you know, you you start you start stacking these things up and if you add Cespedes to that, the team just looks completely different than it does without him. They go from being a team that, if everything falls right, could make a run to a team that should be dominating, or at least, you know, keeping pace with the Nationals. And uh, oh yeah, and I think the Nationals go into this offseason with a fair amount of questions. Um, yeah, agreed. You know, Ramos is probably gone. Uh, I'll you know that. <laughs> How much he plays and where he plays doesn't really matter too much, you know, whether it's because of injury or, or getting money elsewhere. But, you know, that <clears throat> that is a, a difference maker. Uh, he certainly was one of their better players this year. Obviously, Daniel Murphy was their best player right. from start to finish. But we also know, don't you know get... if that's repeatable. Right. Uh, I look, I. In the end, I'm just glad that the Daniel Murphy season didn't lead to a Nationals championship that could be credited to Daniel Murphy. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Um, I think this was his career year. I know that's not really that bold of a statement, <laughs> but I just Chris McShane with the hot takes. I'm, I'm not. I'm not writing it off. I'm, I'm willing to, you know, accept that. Okay, something clicked with him something changed you know and if i'm willing to acknowledge that with cespedes at the age he is you know it's uh fine that you know murphy murphy learned something and changed something and we saw it at the end of 2015 too right we yeah, saw yeah. The beginnings I mean, of that it, it was a lesser extent before the playoffs but it was still it was a, a better performance and it seems to have just improved you know, I think one of the fascinating things with baseball, and, and, you know, we've had it, I think it's a little more obvious on the pitching side, where you have, you know, uh, Corey Kluber bounced around a little and took a while before he was good. And he's still relatively young, but, you know, he's an example of it. We had R.A. Dickey with the Mets. We had the whole Rich Hill thing with, you know, his mm-hmm. breakout last year and then his, his season this year. Uh 
it's I think it's less common for a position player to do it, but that mix of experience and maturity and knowledge before the physical talent starts to dissipate, you know, it, I think there's sort of a sweet spot there where the the guy figures it out, whether it's Murphy or Cespedes, they're both on, you know, the wrong side of 30. Right. Which, as someone who also is. <laughs> yep, me too. I hate, I hate saying that, but, uh, but you know, where it, whatever it was, adjustments and knowledge and all that accumulates to the point that you can employ it, you know, and then you, and then you're still able to put the bat on the ball and, and hit home runs and do that sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't know. That to me is fascinating. You know, if, and it's one of those things you hear about plenty, especially when you're younger, but even now, like, Oh, if I, if I knew as much as I did about the game today, when I was still like playing in high school, yeah. I would, you know, I wouldn't have been great, but man, that would have been nice. <laughs> it would have been nice to go in, you know, and it, it's just one of those things that I can appreciate a guy who has gotten to that point where he, you know, he has the physical ability to implement that knowledge at our age and, yeah. uh, and, and make something of it. Yeah. Uh, so we, that that I just went on a tangent, but the Nationals <laughs> might suck next year. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> that's my point. <laughs> uh, let's hope so. The uh, you know, we've been kind of dancing around this idea for a few minutes now, so let's just get right into it. Uh, if you are the Mets front office, do you offer Neil Walker a qualifying offer, and do you think that there is a reality where he takes that? Uh, yes, and yes, I agree. Yeah, it's uh. I get the risk, and I know that the back thing, especially with Wright and Duda having dealt with it for the last two years now in varying timelines, I get that that's a concern. Uh, maybe maybe a significant concern, but you know, Walker showed you what he's capable of, and I don't know if he if if you're worried about the risk that he'll take it and earn seventeen million for one year you probably shouldn't be owning a major league baseball team. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it's it's just to me that that's an obvious thing. Um, you know, going back to a year ago almost once the season ended and they, you know, we've talked about it a bunch, but the whole line of succession of okay, Murphy walks, you recoup a pick. Uh, you know, you you get Walker for John Neese. That to me is still an underrated trade. I don't know how I don't know how that happened, but it but I'm glad it did. Absolutely. Uh, but you get Walker and you get him before the season so that when you get to the end of it you can give him a qualifying offer. Uh you know, and if he accepts, if he looks at it as like, hey, I'm not gonna get the you know, the big contract that I think I could if I hadn't had the back surgery and I just want to have a year to play. To rebuild my value. Right. There there are worse things to to do. You know, and I, I don't know how much communication goes on between an agent and a and a play and the player he represents and a team in the qualifying offer process, but you know, I I'd like to think that 
you know, in that scenario, Walker might be a little more amenable to maybe taking some reps at third base in spring training. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing, because the the Mets could end up with sort of a glut in the middle infield, which would be nice. I mean, I I, I don't want to, like, pin the 2017 hopes on Ahmed Rosario. Because <laughs> that that wouldn't be fair. But, right, man, right. like, I'm excited about him. I... I'd love to get to a situation where you go like, all right, you know, Walker's back, Cabrera's at short, uh, you know, Wright and Reyes are sort of combining to be a third base. Yeah. And, you know, who I I'd love to be in a spot where Rosario's knocking at the door or, you know, even if one guy is hurt and say, you know, say Walker has some issues with his back and it's not, you know, he's not gonna play a hundred 40 or 150 games, uh, you know, TJ Rivera, Wilmer Flores, maybe Reyes is playing second or, you know, whatever the scenario is. I, I like having those options around, you know, to me, it's, it, it, it's the Mets money, you know, it's not, Ooh, excuse me, podcast. It's not going <laughs> to, uh, there was no mute button in time for that one. The, the, but they, yeah, they're uh, they're in a spot where I'd rather have too many middle infielders because you know one thing I think we've seen with the pitching over the last year or two, uh, and especially in 2015 with with position players as well, is just having these having guys around as legitimate major league depth can be a big big difference if things don't go as planned. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's amazing how depth looks <laughs> today versus like two or three seasons ago. Right. When you think about, you know, that Eric Campbell was the first man off the bench for a long time. It's just insanity. It's just insanity when you're looking at it now. You know, and, and I think that there's a... Uh, there's a real there's a real tendency to forget that TJ Rivera was nothing before this season. Nobody expected a damn thing from him. And you know, we got this this amazing I mean, he look, he wasn't an all-star, but he performed excellent in his time with the Mets. It's great to have TJ Rivera's in your system. You can't bank on those guys. And it's it's really easy to forget how quickly you get back to to him and Eric Campbell and Rene Rivera being the being your depth. And I think that the Mets need to realize that they have a lot of cost controlled talent right now and they need to hold on to that. But to answer your to answer the sort of the question from before, I like same way I feel about Cespedes, the team just looks different with Walker than it does without Walker. And I feel oh, yeah. I feel a lot better about the team with Walker than I do without Walker. I don't think if Walker and Cespedes both are not there, I think they have a much harder path to the postseason. But I don't think it's an impossible path. But with the two of those guys there, it seems far more likely. And there's just no way. I'm knocking on as much wood as I can find here. There's no way that 2017 can be can have as much bad luck as 2016 had. It just yeah, seems impossible. It, it would be. It would be a real accomplishment to have more injury problems next year <laughs> yeah that's a good way to put it 
So, so yeah, I, I, um, it would be nice to go in, you know, you get to spring training, you keep both of those guys and you go in and you say, look, we've got above average hitters at what? One, two, three, four, five, six, maybe six positions, seven. If you want to say Darno, you know, bounces back and there's a great back end of the bullpen even if they complement those guys with somebody lesser than the Chapman Jansen <laughs> level of reliever right, right. you know complement those guys a little bit there's that's a team that on paper should get plenty of uh plenty of love I think going into a season so you know yeah, just do it, Mets, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to our AAOPs in a few weeks. And yes. uh I'm going to really I I'm, at, I'm making the I'm making the decision right now. I'm not going to bring back Walker or Cespedes in mind. Okay. Cuz I want to take I want to take a different approach. I want to see what I can do without that stuff. Yeah. Um even though, you know, if I was actually running the Mets, I'd bring both those guys back. But I'm going to try and approach it differently so so we'll see um well um let's move on to we had a couple of questions from the fans one of the questions we're gonna have to really cop out on here and uh matt gross uh, one of our german listeners emailed us and asked us uh how much the mets make off their cable tv contract how much they make off their radio broadcast contract and how much they make off their mlb.tv uh contract and the sad answer to this is we have no idea. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot. Yeah, and I know I know that's not the answer that you're looking for here, but uh, you know the specifics of this stuff is so guarded. You know, even even getting accurate, you know, information on attendance. You know, we <laughs> it's been a long time since attendance was people who walked through the gate, right? Uh, you, you know, so. And Only in a playoff game is attendance is is perceived attendance and actual attendance the same thing, right? So yeah, it's and it, it, like that alone doesn't bother me or whatever. But it's just that information is so closely guarded and and everything that unfortunately we don't have specific numbers, but we know that it's a lot of money. Yeah, the Mets are. Um... The Mets are in a slightly different position than a lot of teams in that they co they partially own their cable network. You know, they are not on like to say the Fox Sports affiliate for your area where a lot of teams are. They they are a an owner in SNY. And what that means is that they get a, a bigger piece of of your subscription dollar, but it also means that they are probably not going to get the insane contract that is given because because their owners are not going to be able to renegotiate their contract as much as some of these other teams are for their unbelievably absurd amounts of money. Yeah. So sorry, we can't be more help on that one, but uh, it's a lot of money. If you find the answer elsewhere and want to share it back with us. Yeah, please do that. But, uh, but yeah, 
And uh, if you do want to want to ask a question or, or if you know the answer to these questions, want to get in touch with us, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com is the best way to do that. Uh, we have one more question came to us via Twitter from Thomas Hubert, and he said, do you think this would be a risk worth taking for the Mets if they could pick him up? And he's talking about the Nationals at the time placing Aaron Barrett on waivers. Now it appears Barrett has been uh, released, correct, Chris? Uh, yeah, so he, he cleared outright waivers and, you know, d- didn't accept the minor league assignment, so he's just a free agent. He's a free agent. Um, we've talked a little bit about the desire to improve the bullpen. Uh, while I think that this would, this this potentially could improve the bullpen, to me this isn't the type of move that, this isn't the type of bullpen move we've been talking about. Uh, well, you know, it's not it's not on that sort of high level sure thing, right. sure thing as you can get. Um, but there's definitely some appeal. You know, I, I liked a lot of what we saw out of Josh Smoker this year. So there's some appeal of going and, you know, picking up a guy who had been in the Nationals organization. It's a different path, you know, because Barrett had spent a good amount of time in the majors in 2014 and 15. Uh, but still, you know, he, he didn't pitch in 2016 with sort of a litany of various injuries. But it's a guy who, sure, I would I would be totally open to bringing him in. Taking a flyer you, on him, sure, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think the question really comes down to the 40-man the roster, and I don't know if we're quite there yet in terms of, <laughs> you know, really knowing how many spots are, are flexible. Um, if it's something that requires a, a spot there, you know, a major league deal to bring him on, I might hesitate a little bit, but, you know, some sort of deal that pays him well if he makes the major league team, uh, but doesn't necessitate putting him on the 40, you know, at the time of the signing. So that a minor league contract with an invitation. Right, invitation to spring training, and then the um, you know the incentives if he's in the big leagues. If that's what he has to settle for, which might be likely, mm-hmm. uh, I'm definitely interested. That the strikeout rate is really high. Yep. You know, you look back. I know he was involved in in the 2014 playoff run <clears throat> that didn't end well for the Nationals. Uh, part of it with him on the mound but you know i i wouldn't read too much into that uh i'm a big big fan of high strikeout relief pitchers so sure i, I i'll absolutely take a flyer on him and bring him in and you know there's a chance in 2017 that if healthy he could be better than hansel robles just as one example yeah um so yeah, I don't know. Consider me interested. I guess is where where I am. But like you said, it's not a move to go. All right, we picked up Aaron Barrett. Uh, the bullpen is done. Right. Yeah. It's um. You know, it's uh, it's not the move you think is going to happen five days after the World Series, right? You know, it, this is a move that if it happens, maybe happens later in the postseason when 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 there's just a couple of extra little moves to be made. To, to improve the team around the margins. 
but this is not the move you bank your postseason, your you know your off season uh, commitments on. But I'm I'm in favor of it in theory. It's for the right, especially if the price is right, which is the most like vague statement I can make about baseball because that's that's true of literally every move. If the price is yeah, right, no, I'm no. interested. Right, if, if every free agent on the market wants to sign a minor league deal and show up in spring training and let the Mets figure it out, <laughs> sign me up. I'll sign everybody. I'll sign right, you, Chris, yeah. if, if that's if that's the if that's the plan. Sure, why not? You play high school ball, right? Uh, yeah, I was I was on the team. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wasn't even on the team, so you know you have you have more of a pedigree than I do. But... <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, next time we speak to you, the World Series may very well be over. Yeah, Which yeah. There's crazy. A, there's a chance. I mean, there's, uh, as we record this, it's tied one-one. Mm-hmm. The game did end tonight, right? I, I'm just assuming it <laughs> started like six hours ago. Yeah, but... I'm assuming it's over as well. Yeah, so we're just gonna say it's one-one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's still entirely possible that one of the teams wins it by then so hopefully can... not it's nice yeah. to have baseball i don't it, it, without going too far in depth on it I, i'm just sick of the cubs i mean i i got <laughs> my two wishes were fulfilled pretty quickly the giants and nationals are gone right so i i won't complain no matter what happens here you know but in the context of just this week Enough with the Cubs. <laughs> I could, if it means they lose, I could do without seven games. I guess that's fine. <laughs> my, see, I'm really torn here because I like the Indians' story a lot this year. Uh, I also, as we've talked about before, I'm a fan of process. So you know, Theo Epstein took exactly five years to get the Cubs to the World Series, and that's that's pretty cool as well. My fear is that if the Cubs lose. I'm never going to hear the end of it from Cubs fans. But right. my bigger fear is if the Cubs win, I'm never going to hear the end of it from Cubs fans. So I think no matter what, we're going to deal with some insufferable Cubs fans for the next yes. few seasons. And Theo Epstein, Epstein did a good uh, good job of impersonating Sandy Alderson, who did exactly the same thing. That is true. It, it, was, it was kind of freakish. I think when uh, Baseball Prospectus made that observation, it was – the date he was hired, Epstein. This is yeah. the date he was hired. Uh, to the date they won the NLCS, and with Alderson, it was the date he was hired and the date of Game One of the World Series. Oh, wow! <laughs> so whatever you know, whatever your your demarcation is there, uh, they they both accomplished that on on almost exactly the same timeline and went about it in different ways. I think. You know, whatever happens in this World Series, another Cubs-Mets NLCS would sort of be a nice showdown. You know, you, you yeah. have the the position player built and the and the pitching, starting pitching specifically built teams, uh, at least in terms of like the most important parts of the teams. Right. So it would be fun. I can't say that I'm going to like root for the Cubs again. There would be fun to see that happen again and and have that rematch. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I'll shut I'll shut up about the World Series now. That's my <laughs> that's my Cubs rant. I understand. I understand. I, I at this point I'm always just rooting for another day of baseball. 
Because it gives it gives another day for Cespedes to decide he wants to stay with the Mets. Oh yeah. Oh, if 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 sometime in the next two weeks, whenever it is, if he just decides like, nah, not gonna do it. Yeah. Uh, I would say the odds of that are less than one percent. But man, if he did it, it would be the funniest thing that's happened in in baseball in a long time. That would be a different kind of LOL Mets. Like you'd be laughing out loud with the Mets in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope for that. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Welcome back, Mets fans. Greg Karam and Steve Saipa here to talk about the Mets minor league system with you. And let's jump right in. Steve, we have players playing in the Arizona Fall League. We're going to talk about the Arizona Fall League for the third week in a row. Uh, why don't you give us a quick update on what is going on over there? All right. So uh, first, I guess we'll talk about Gavin Cicchini, who is currently hitting 350, 423, 600. Uh, he had a good week this week. He hit his first home run, but he also committed three more errors, um, a fielding error, a throwing error, and just a plain missed catch, which brings his total in six games to five errors and that is not a good uh ratio basically almost one error per game well maybe they should try him at second base (laughs) hey you know it's a novel concept i really am not fully sure why he's not getting any kind of look whatsoever at second base exception of you know a couple of games at the end of the las vegas season last year he has played second base regularly since like high school Earlier in his career, when he wasn't really plagued by, you know, the error yips, you know, I would say, <laughs> I would nice say, it's like, it. yeah, I mean, I would say, like, okay, fine, you know, he was, he was a better fielder then, but the last, like, three years or so, he's committed almost 30 errors every, you know, going back to 2014. I could understand, you know, the Mets want to highlight him as a shortstop if, if, any other teams are interested perhaps in trading for him but I mean he just doesn't look like a shortstop so I, I really don't see necessarily why there's stubbornness there to not really want to transition him well this is a team an organization that will play guys at shortstop until it's absolutely positively necessary to move them off I mean this is also a team that rolled out the Wilmer Flores in the majors <laughs> in the World Series so um I, but yeah, I don't really see what's going on there. But we, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. At least he's hitting, which is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what's going on with him. Um, Matt Oberste, he's still looking for his first hit. So good <laughs> good luck to him. <laughs> We're pulling for you. Uh, Champ Stewart, he had a good first week. This week he kind of cooled down a little bit. He's hitting um, two fifty, two fifty, four hundred. He has three stolen bases, though. No quote stealings yet. So, I mean, he's always a guy that's speed first. So it's good to see that, you know, three stolen bases, five games, no quote no quote stealing. It's good good numbers. Yep. Um, next we have everyone's favorite, Tim Tebow. Mm. He notched his first hit. Mm-hmm. Then he got another hit. Mm-hmm. And good for him. He's, uh, what's he hitting here? 100, 182, 100. 
yeah. Which, which, thanks to Matt Oberste, is not the worst on the team. So <laughs> that's the bar. He's not yeah. the worst. So that's all the hitters that the team has playing for uh, Scottsdale. And in terms of uh, pitching, uh, Marcos Molina made another start this week. And how did he do? He did well. A couple of innings. Again, we're not really looking for stats as much as... um, Health. Right, health, um, velocity, how breaking balls are doing, command. And he passed on uh, all of those things. So that's encouraging. Yeah. So he's Uh, done enough at this point to earn a 40-man spot. You probably have to say, you know, small sample size alone, uh, you know, aside, he's gone uh, out there and proved that he's healthy and has the talent there. I think he's a 40-man ad at this point. Oh, absolutely. I think even if it was still a lot more, even if he was still not back on the mound, I would still say that he's worth the 40-man roster spot. Fair enough. Uh, And then we have three bullpen arms, Corey Oswalt. Well, he's not really a bullpen arm, but we have Corey Oswalt, uh, David Roseboom, and Corey Taylor. All three of them are doing uh, cromulent, I guess, is the best way to put it. (laughs) Um, Corey Oswalt is tied for the most strikeouts on the team with nine, so that's, that's good at least. Um... Corey Taylor had is is putting up some is putting up a pretty uh, anemic strikeout rate right now. He only has three. He's a he's capable of striking out more guys than that, but um, he's working very efficiently. I don't think he's thrown more than like fifteen pitches or so in any of his four outings. And uh, David Rosenboom is David Roseboom is having some command issues He's he was pretty reliable in Binghamton last year he was their closer for the second half no, I don't know maybe he's tired whatever but <laughs> we don't really yeah. need to analyze it too hard <laughs> yeah so there you go <laughs> and that's your Arizona Fall League update though I will add I'm, I'm pulling up the uh, organization's offseason league stats and I'm seeing Henry Mejia throwing an inning in a Caribbean baseball league looks like a dominican league so i thought he was i thought he was suspended from all leagues because uh, I, I thought that all the leagues like respected that suspension but you know maybe if i'd have done a little bit more preparation i would have an answer for that <laughs> i was not even i was i didn't even know that he was pitching anywhere me neither. I know there's a couple of other guys that are playing in like the venezuelan winter league dominican you know i think jorge carrillo yeah um, Louis Mateo. Mm. Um, all right, so moving on from that and, and moving into things that are somewhat relevant to minor leagues, the there's been ta- talk around the league about changing the rules for the international uh, signing period and doing away with it and I think going to a 10-round draft um, mm-hmm. in its place. Uh, what What are your thoughts on that? Well, the current system is very unregulated. Basically, the way the things go are players train with buscones, which are which is Spanish for finders, I guess is the best way to put it. And they're basically 
identify young talent at like 10 to 14 years old. They coach them, and then they basically market them to baseball teams. And there's a lot of corruption, unfortunately, in the system. And a lot of these guys will, you know, take, uh, you know, skim some of the bonus money that they get off the top and charge fees, kind of unscrupulous, um, take bribes from other teams to kind of convince the player to sign with, you know, the team of their choice. So So it's um, a pretty corrupt and somewhat dangerous even system in some places. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So here's an example. Uh, Have you ever seen the movie Baseball, uh, excuse me, Baseball Pelotero? No. Okay. It was on Netflix a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. It was a good movie for any of our listeners if you are interested in kind of getting a first-hand look at how the system operates down in the Dominican. Uh, but it was it's a documentary. A couple of years ago, um, Rene Gallo, who is a scout for the Pirates, and he's currently in charge of um, all their scouting operations today, I believe. He was scouting a teenager um, that the Pirates were really interested in. Consensus was that he'd get a few million dollars but in the weeks and months, in the months and weeks before uh, the July Fourth signing period, they started rumors started circulating about whether or not the player was actually who he was, if he was actually the age that he claimed. So the MLB had um, him and his family undergo a variety of like kind of embarrassing, insulting tests. They had this this kid undergo bone scans to get a reliable measure of how old he was. They had him undergo DNA tests to prove that he was actually um, who the parents claimed that he was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And basically the investigation lasted for months and it only was... um, the player was only deemed telling the truth, you know, a couple of weeks before the July 4th signing period started. And that obviously um, really depressed the amount that teams would be willing to pay for this guy because there were still so many questions. Mm. Uh, So um, that scout basically approached the player and his family and said that if he just signed for the Pirates at a discounted price, everything would be good, they'd get their money, no more investigations, and that would be that. The Mm. family rightfully, I guess, blamed this guy for everything that happened. Um, it's never really been proven that he was the man spreading all these rumors, but really him and the pirates would be the only ones to have gained anything by by doing that. This kind of stuff getting leaked out. So the family, you know, blamed him, so they basically didn't accept his offer and uh, that's when another team, the Twins, swooped in and signed this guy. And what was this guy's name? Miguel Sano. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah. wow. Okay, good player there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's exactly it. He's a good player. At the time, you know, he, he was seen as a kind of, you know, not a, not a prodigy, pro, the prodigy necessarily, but, you know, a, a very highly touted guy. And so, right. So, but the, so the question is, this, this kind of move to a draft system might clear out some of that corruption but it also does the favor uh for the 
any anytime you have an organized draft, it does a favor to the teams in order to suppress the amount of money that they have to pay to get these guys. Anytime you limit it to not a market system, it's going to suppress the bonuses that they get paid. Is, is that absolutely true, right? Yeah. So, so there's a give and take with this whole thing, and it seems like since they were unable to, I mean, I know Sandy Alderson was down there trying to clean up some of the corruption in the Dominican before he took the job with the Mets. But it sounds like since MLB hasn't been able to clean it up enough, there's going to be enough. There's going to be a benefit, and that's how they're going to sell it to everybody. But I think that the underlying motivation here is to suppress uh, the amount of money that they have to spend. Which, Absolutely. Which, if you if you back it up a little, that actually would benefit the Mets, who <laughs> are not a team that likes to spend money. Um, Although this is an odd year, so they might be shelling out some dollars this year. It's basically if you if you think of basically turning the international draft system, uh, international signing system into a draft, you'll get players at the top who will get that premium money, just like we have our first round draft picks here that get that premium kind of money, and then you have the guys kind of you know in the middle. I think that the guys in the middle will be the ones that benefit the most because you'll have guys that have decent amounts of talent that they're not going to get lowballed for, you know, $5,000. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was looking at some um, historic kind of signing bonuses for certain players. This is not $2,016, but, you know, these signings are not that long ago either. David Ortiz signed for $10,000. Pedro Martinez signed for 6000 Sammy Sosa signed for three thousand. Miguel Tejada signed for two thousand. So, those are guys that you know. Those are guys that had obviously a decent amount of talent. You know, that's arguably all of them are Hall of Famers right there. Right. So it'll protect those guys maybe at the back end, and maybe screw those guys at the top end who are now at this point taking in multiple millions of dollars as the as the highest um, end free agents, and. Yeah, it's a give and take. You know? Yeah. So I think overall, I think players will kind of get be better. Um, they'll be the, uh, one of the one of the proposals that the MLB is also floating out is that they would be opening like training facilities where these players would be going instead of you know all these Buscon camps. So I think if. MLB itself is running kind of facilities like this. The players themselves will get better educations, like outside of baseball. They'll get better, possibly even better education inside of baseball, since a lot of these trainers aren't actually really that great themselves. That's true too. All right, so there are there are more. Actually, you sold me on more benefits than I thought. Um, but so there you have it. Um, you know, we got the AFL update, and we're updating you on the international stuff, and we'll be back. Next week, probably we're going to talk about some other Mets prospects next week, other than the guys from the AFL, uh, <laughs> as I'm sure we're all tired of talking about Champ Stewart. <laughs> so not we'll Tebow. Not Everyone Tebow. loves Tebow. Everyone loves Tebow, except for, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> so we'll be back next week in this same spot. Take care. Hey, this is Caitlin McCabe with a little blast from the past. This week, I'm looking at a forgotten New York Met from the 2000 National League Championship roster, backup infielder Kurt Abbott. Doesn't ring a bell? Well, here's a refresher. In nine seasons in the major leagues, Abbott played with five different teams. 
1997 World Series winning Miami Marlins, the Oakland Athletics, the Colorado Rockies, the New York Mets, and the Atlanta Braves. He batted 256 with 62 home runs and 242 RBI, while infamously seeing time in every position around the diamond except pitcher and catcher. While on the Mets, Abbott appeared in just 79 games on a one-year contract, playing shortstop and a bit of second base. After the 2000 season, he re-entered free agency and signed a one-year contract with his final team, the Braves. His baseball career ended at age 33 due to an Achilles tendon injury. So, what's this long-forgotten Met been up to since that brief stint in New York? Well, instead of chasing ground balls, he's chasing fleeing felons. Since 2006, Abbott has apparently worked as a sheriff's deputy in Martin County, Florida. Now, that seems quite a career change for the normal fan, but to his close friends and teammates, this isn't really much of a surprise. Actually, he was a total crime nut throughout his baseball career. In fact, he'd go on ride-alongs with local police officers when he wasn't playing ball. But hold on, he hasn't entirely abandoned his ball-playing career. In addition to assisting with the kids' baseball camp in Florida, the former Met enjoys participating in the Sheriff's Office softball games in local law enforcement games. No, it's not Major League Baseball, but hey, he's happy. For more trips down Mets memory lane, be sure to look for the next Forgotten Mets segment on Amazing Avenue Audio. This is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and today, since I'm recording on a Wednesday morning in the wake of Cleveland's Game 1 World Series victory over the Chicago Cubs, I thought it'd be a good deal to talk about how the Indians are using Andrew Miller, their relief ace but not closer this postseason, and how that could relate to the future bullpen management and maybe a good idea or two for the Mets in the coming 2017 season as to how they manage their bullpen or to or for just other teams to manage their bullpen in the regular season like the Indians are doing this postseason. The thing about Andrew Miller is he's been used in pretty much every big spot. He was named the ALCS MVP. He has been just fantastic in the postseason with 24 strikeouts and just four walks and 13.2 innings. That's almost two strikeouts per uh, every inning, which is just ridiculous as his slider is just confounding right-handed hitters as well as left-handed hitters. He has not allowed an earned run yet, so he's pitched the equivalent of one and a half scoreless shutout games so far. So he's been one of the most important players, not just for the Indians, but for this entire postseason and it's it's interesting because in every game he's pitched and he's made how many appearances? He's made seven appearances this postseason, ranging from the ALDS to the ALCS, and then again in last night's World Series where he where he struggled to get out of a jam, but he he still made it happen. And in five of those appearances, he's pitched at least two innings. And the other two, he still pitched more than one inning. He pitched at least 
at least one and a third, and one and two thirds were his two shortest outings. So in all seven, he's gone greater than he's got more than one inning, which is a lot for a guy who in the regular season was mostly used just to take care of that eighth inning, whether it be for the Yankees or for his new team in Cleveland. He was just taking care of one inning for most of the season. And what's interesting about last night is that Cleveland used him even though Corey Kluber was pitching really well, and the reason they did that was because they're relying on Kluber to pitch in three games this series if there is a Game 7. They've already come out and said he's going to pitch in Game 1, in Game 4, and in Game 7. And for that to happen, he's going to be working on short rest, so they're going to try to limit his innings in each start, and that means bringing Andrew Miller, even though Corey Kluber was working on a historic outing last night with eight strikeouts in his first three innings. So they bring in Miller anyway, he gets the job done, and how he has dominated this postseason makes me wonder if this is a strategy that would work in the regular season. Certainly, we're always worried about the innings that the Mets' best relievers pitch, but It might be a better idea, instead of going one inning at a time, to have them pitch two innings at a time and perhaps get a day off in between, although in the postseason there are more days off because you're only going two or or three games at a time before a day off, and then you have more rest in between series. So this might not be something that's fully embraced, but it's at least something that needs to be looked at because you could still give guys days off, The way they do things now, you can use a guy for, let's say, Addison Reed, because he's the Mets version of Andrew Miller. He's been their best relief pitcher in 2016, but he was not the closer. Still a very important member of the team. If if you're only using him for one inning, you might end up resting him the next two days anyway, because you could be playing from behind, you could be winning by five runs. You don't know if you're going to need him two days in a row, but that's the way guys are managed it's assuming they're going to need to pitch the next day but it might be better to have him pitch perhaps say have Reed pitch the seventh and the eighth inning one day and then give him a a couple days off where you you that might come back to bite you it might not but either way you're getting the most out of him on that one day when you know it's a close game and you you're not you don't the, the other stuff you don't know. You don't know if you're going to be in a close game the next day. You don't know if you're going to be a close game in two days. You know it's a close game right now, so why not get the most out of your relief pitcher in this higher leverage situation? And that's what the Indians have been doing with Andrew Miller, and they've had, like I said, the benefit of the added rest of the postseason, but it's it's something that it's something that needs to be considered. Relief pitchers Sometimes they're overused, and some, and a lot of that's just them not being used in the most efficient manner. There's probably ways, if you look at it, to get to even throw these guys fewer innings, but pitch them in in more important situations. Not just automatically throwing them out in the eighth or the ninth inning because that's their job. Let's take a closer for example. Do you really need him in there for the three-run lead in the ninth inning because it's a save situation? Why not? Ha- wouldn't you rather have him pitch the eighth and the ninth inning of a one-run game, and then you can rest him when you have that three-run lead? That's just a hypothetical example of of the way that relief pitchers use traditionally, and uh, and it's something that needs to be looked at because right now Cleveland is 
is, for lack of a better word, they are rocking right now because of the way Terry Francona has managed Andrew Miller and the rest of his bullpen, just using him so efficiently. It, it helps that he's been just incredibly dominant. He he really has been the story, the unlikely unlikely biggest story of this postseason so far has been the way he's dominated in this middle relief, pitching more than one inning in every every outing and being used as, as something of a secret weapon. So I'd love to see the Mets and other teams experiment with more extended relief outings for their best relief pitchers, and it will help turn more of these guys into stars if they're pitching more, if they're pitching in longer stints in the most important starts of a game. It, it'll help help the game, and it's going to create some more exciting players and more exciting moments. So I hope teams look at that. This has been Aaron York from Mason Avenue Audio. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. It could possibly be over by the next time we have an episode of Amazing Avenue Audio. So Brian asked me to do a kind of off-season Panic City Meter wrap-up, and I've spent a week trying to figure out what that means. Because theoretically, that's a what am I panicking about for next year? And there are plenty of options, but it is going to be an incredibly long off-season. And we're going to have lots of time to worry about which starting pitchers are going to come back healthy, and what excuse the Mets are going to have for not bringing back Cespedes, and for picking up Dre Bruce's option, and how you know James Loney is inevitably going to end up back on this team, because there is just no way that's not happening, because the Mets hate us all. But... We're going to have, we've got plenty of time. It is a long, cold, dark winter until March. So we have plenty of time to figure out all the problems we're going to have to panic about next year. So instead, I'm just going to address the end of the season. It didn't go like we hoped. The Mets lost. The Mets are out of the postseason. The I'm recording Tuesday morning. I'm switching it up on you guys. So the Cubs and Indians start the World Series tonight. The Mets are not there. And you know what? That's okay. Nobody expected the Mets to pull this off with the injuries and the lack of performance will be nice here from some players. It wasn't going to happen. They went farther than I thought they would. And then they hit the wildcard game in Madison Bumgarner and you're just not going to beat him. And that's fine. There's no reason to be mad about that or embarrassed or whatever. You They played well. We supported them well. It happened. Life happens. And I've seen a lot of people angry, oh, well, the wild card doesn't count as a postseason. Yes, it does. It's past game 162. That's the postseason. You're not in regular games anymore. So the Mets made the postseason, and they lost to Madison Bumgarner. That's fine. That's not a negative. Those things happen. You don't beat Madison Bumgarner. That's okay. So... I think overall, I'm fine with this season being a success. Sure, I would have liked them to be farther. But when you're rolling out Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman in the playoffs, you're probably not going to make it very far. So, I'm fine with it. I liked watching this team. It was really ugly for a while. Multiple times for a while. But they were fun sometimes. I like watching Cespedes. I like watching Syndergaard and DeGrom when he's healthy. And... You know, these guys are fun. This is what we do. I don't know many Mets fans who expect success. So I think we should kind of just take it where we can get it. And so for that, 
Welcome to the offseason, everybody. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening as always you can go to amazingavenue.com to find all your mets off-season news rumors discussion all sorts of fun stuff you can also find amazing avenue on all relevant social media twitter instagram and facebook at amazing avenue you can follow all of our contributors today on twitter i am at brian is a nap chris is at chris mcshane caitlin mccabe our newest uh Contributor is at KAM3194. That probably means she was born in 1994, which makes me feel incredibly old. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. Uh, Aaron York is at APY5000. Kate Feldman is at Kate E. Feldman. Steve Seipa is at Steve Seipa. And Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. You can download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com. Rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes. Find us on Stitcher or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. Uh, we are now officially in the uh, the thick of the World Series, and because of Chris's aversion to the Cubs, I'm going to end the show by saying, let's go Indians, but I really don't care.